3: And this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Karen Feinerman. Tonight on Fast, a once-in-a-decade opportunity. That's what Apple's biggest bull is calling the stock, even as it touches new all-time highs. We'll press him on that call straight ahead. Plus, a streaming buy. We'll tell you what, since shares Roku rocketing higher today. And we're following the major developing story in the Gulf Coast as Hurricane Laura bears down. How the Category 4 storm is impacting the energy market. But first, today's show is brought to you by the letter B. That's because bond yields, bullion, big cap tech, all climbing higher today. The move comes as Fed Chair Jerome Powell gears up for a high stakes speech tomorrow morning from the Fed's virtual Jackson Hole Summit. So with bond yields up, bullion up, big tech up, what's up with the market as we gear up for Powell? Guy.
4: I like just hearing you say bullion. It's like I feel like I'm either going to have some soup or I'm going to go back to doing what I used to do back in the day. It's, it's just wonderful. I mean, you could do an entire show just saying that word. With that said, what's up? I mean, risk assets are continue to go higher based on, and we talked about this a couple of days ago, the fact that you know they said this would be basically a historic uh, speech for the Fed and the way they view inflation, the way they measure inflation. And quite frankly, I think that's why the market took off the other day, and I think that's why you saw it probably move again today into that speech. The things you didn't mention, and I know you didn't forget it, but they didn't rhyme with B or start with B, is the fact that the Russell was down today and the VIX actually reversed off a 21 handle and closed north of 23. I think those are two very interesting things uh, to take into consideration along with the three B's
1: that you just mentioned, Mel.
3: So the three B's plus the extras. Tim, how do you how do you read those tea leaves?
1: I, I think you're going to get some, some backlash. I think ultimately, there's my B. I, I, first of all, risk assets are coming into this Fed meeting with 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 expectations, but positioning and whatever you want to look at in terms of market sentiment, investor sentiment, the S&P is at an 84 nine-day RSI. uh, It's nothing short of extraordinary. An 8% move in Facebook today, an 11% move in Netflix, a 7% move in Tesla. Uh, You've gotten to a place where this whole idea of that the Fed is always your friend is something that's going to come back and bite the Fed, because the minute they're going to have to change even a little bit, of course, here, it's going to be nasty, nasty. So we said this yesterday. it, It It's about uh, the Fed's communication about what inflation uh, should be for them. Are they going with this symmetry, which means that they could actually overshoot and would give people a lot of sense that the Fed is going to still be their friend. But that's that's what this comes down to. And if you look at where markets are, the extraordinary thing is for for all the runs that we've had in this uh, covid-19 of liquidity, stimulus and market momentum. This feels about as frothy as it can get. So going into this, I don't think bond yields have pulled back. I mean, yeah, I know it was nice for our alliteration today, but bond yields uh, are off about seven bips in the last week. Um, Gold, which had pulled back off of record highs, was probably due to rally a little bit. I think the most important thing is the Fed uh, trying to give themselves some opportunity to change policy at some point, but it's not going to be tomorrow.
3: I know it was misleading, but we did say bond yields were (laughs) up, not bonds were up. So we were acknowledging the fact. No, that, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, OK. I know. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I thought maybe because bonds start with a B, but bond yield is sort of like a backdoor way of getting bond yields in. Anyway, Karen, you actually think that there is inflation. I mean, we are expecting Jerome Powell to address that issue yeah. and potentially say that that the Fed will allow inflation to run hotter for a little bit longer than the Fed has uh, in the past or, or has by mandate. Um, there is inflation, though, out there, you see?
5: There is inflation and they want inflation because when you have a lot of debt, you want inflation to sort of make that debt uh, relatively smaller. So yeah, so we have uh, money just flooding the system, right? The government's flooding the system, Fed's printing money. I think one other thing, I think he will pound hard on getting, uh, trying to get more stimulus. This isn't something he has control over, but I think he'll pound hard on that. But anyway, so this chart is showing, while 10-year yields have actually gone up a little, When you subtract out what real yields are, which is negative, the difference between those two is inflation. And we can see since the bottom of March, I don't know if that chart's up, but if it's there, you can see that inflation has been steadily climbing. So two things. So for me, when I talk about stocks, when we talk about Tina, there is no alternative. I don't want to own cash. Purchasing power of cash is going down. And that's why we see the B from bullion going up. Bitcoin, just to add another B to to the mix there. And then the other thing going on is that equity risk premiums are coming down, meaning the excess return one should get for owning a stock is is coming down. And so that means the P.E. multiple is going up. The lower the equity risk premium number is, the higher the P.E. multiple. And that's also what's driving stocks. I, I just can't. Imagine that with all of these giant stocks going up so much today, that something happened so unique in each of them today that was more important than this much bigger macro issue of equity risk premiums coming down. So that's what I think is going on today. And I think uh, Powell is see dovish dovish and pounding the table for more stimulus from Congress.
3: That was like a multi-layered trade school right there by Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan.
6: Yeah, well, so here's my letter B word. It starts with bull and ends with the word (laughs) it. Um, I think what's going on here is a bit insane. When you talk about... You know, salesforce.com, it's a phenomenal company. We talked about it two days ago being added to the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It gapped up 5% on that news. Expectations were high into the print. They put up a big quarter after actually what was a lackluster quarter the prior quarter. And you have this stock up 26%. It's gained $50 billion in market cap like that. It's not particularly normal to see that sort of price action. And it just speaks to the kind of environment we're in. I mean, there was panic buying in stocks like Facebook. Tim mentioned Netflix, Adobe, anything that has SaaS related to it. Um, I just don't know how you can pull forward this much expectation, this much business in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a, a, a very deep recession and say to yourself, this is going to end particularly well. We had $165 in S&P earnings last year. We're going to have maybe $130 this year. And I think estimates are for $165 next year. It's trading at about 20 times. Forward, that is very expensive for the S&P 500. I don't mean to say that that is a reason to sell it here, but the behavior that we're seeing on multiple levels in the stock market um, don't make a lot of sense here. And I'll just make one last point to guys, gold. I mean, when Karen, that was a great trade school. If you think inflation's going up and yields are going to stay low, then you got to buy gold here. So that bounce off that uptrend from March is the way to play. um, At least one way to diversify your portfolio in the
4: GLD.
3: So, Guy, it sounds like all these things put together really point to B for bubble.
4: Or or B for blood pressure, because mine continues to go up, because each day I just find myself watching. And, and, you know, it it does. I mean, my blood pressure is rising. I'm in an age now I have to be concerned about those things, and maybe I should just relax a little bit. But is it a bubble? I mean, listen, the one thing that Warren Buffett has watched over all the different metrics and indices and and ways to look at the market is this market cap over GDP. And each day, that numerator continues to go up. And regardless of what you think about the economy, it's either the same or it goes down in terms of the denominator. And you're talking about a number that, you know, typically is excessive in the 150s, now approaching 180 percent. So you explain to me how this isn't a bubble just in terms of that metric alone. It's really fascinating to watch. But, you know, again, I I clearly get what's going on. You know, Jerome Powell has an interesting dance to do tomorrow. But, you know, Karen made a good point, by the way. But and I think she would agree with this. It's not the Fed's job to help us deal with our Uh, debt problems. So but clearly that seems to be one of the mandates right now. All right. By the
3: way, we've got full coverage of the Jackson Hole virtual symposium. A huge lineup coming your way. It all kicks off tomorrow, continues into Friday right here on CNBC. Switching gears here, a new CNBC states of play poll showing President Trump's approval rating is getting a bump in some key battleground
7: states. Elon Moyes got the details. Elon. Well, that's one more B for you, Melissa bump, a Trump bump, President Trump seeing a bounce in our polling, um, that's due in large part to more optimism about the economy. We surveyed likely voters across six key swing states and with Change research. And what we found was that 48% of them say they now approve of President Trump's performance. That's up three points from his low in July. 47% gave him a thumbs up on the job market. And the improvement in his numbers come as economic sentiment is starting to turn around. 40% of likely voters have a positive outlook on the economy. That means that they believe it's either excellent or good A similar number, 41%, are positive on the job market. These are the strongest readings that we have seen since mid May. Now, when you compare Trump to Democratic nominee Joe Biden, 51% of likely voters now believe that Trump and Republicans are doing a better job than Democrats would at managing the impact of COVID on the economy. 49% say that Biden would do better. Melissa, when you look at our polling, a majority of the independents say that they support President Trump's efforts on that question. And, of course, that is the key constituency to watch as we head into November. Back over to you.
3: All right. Thank you very much, Elon Moy. For a long time, we've said that the election is too far away for the markets to price in. We've already gotten through the DNC. We're getting through the RNC. And here we are with this bump in the polls, Tim. Um, There was an interesting article on Axios from Jim Bandeheye who has come on our show in the past, basically saying, you know, it does look like perhaps um, there is a Trump win that could be being priced in right now with the stock markets um, going up. We're not being a political show. We're just stating the, the reality that typically an incumbent that is anti-regulation um, and pro-business is typically liked by the stock market. And that's how Trump is perceived
1: i don 't think there's any question that, that right now this is a Trump victory stock market, and, and that 's not a political statement at all it 's just the reality of, of what the market has not priced in in terms of any change of policy. I mean think about the people that are lining up to change tax policy. Um, think about the, you know the, the entire approach to regulation as it might even exist again around banks. Uh, you think banks are going through a tough time now so um, and, and let me throw a couple more be'es in there because the more I listen to um, both you know what what's going on in Washington and we talk about the Fed, I mean, you know, be careful for what you wish for. uh, But you have this bifurcation uh, or you have some connection between is the Fed political or not? Because if the economy is so good and if we're at a place where actually you could be saying, hey, look, uh, the stock market is representative of the economy, the Fed should not be where they are. Uh, and you can't have it both ways. And yet we do have it both ways. And so um, I- I- if I may be political, I may suggest that I think there are politics that are involved uh, with, with the Fed. But you can't tell me that this stock market is, is voting for uh, anything but Trump when you look at where it is right now.
3: Karen, would you agree? And, and if you do agree, I mean, that tells me that, that the minute there's a sniff of a Biden victory, that could, that could make the market offsides.
5: Well, let me first just say, it must be very difficult for you to do a show entirely based on bees, since you never got a bee in your entire life. But nevertheless, you can <laughs> do the bee show. I think that even if – I'm, I'm not as clear, I guess, as Tim, on the, what this is, is. Is this a Trump victory? I think it's do we have a uh, – do we have gridlock, regardless of who the president is? And it's hard to get big tax changes done and big regulations done when you have gridlock. And I think that is likely. But I also think that Biden is seen as more moderate given his pick of Kamala Harris uh, versus what you know he could have gone with more progressive. So I, I, I don't think this is so clearly a Trump victory. Okay.
3: we got to move on to the next B, um, basketball and breaking news. News out on the NBA. Eric Chen, you has got the latest on the news line. Eric.
8: Hey, Melissa, that's right. So the NBA, the three playoff games that were going to take place tonight in Orlando, none of those games are going to happen. They're postponing the entire slate of games because the first one that was supposed to tip off an hour ago, the Milwaukee Bucks decided not to take the court. They were going to boycott the game in the light of the police shooting that happened earlier this week. So that that led to a uh, you know chain of events here where the NBA decided okay none of these games are going to happen and that's just been breaking news here in the last few minutes. No word yet what happens tomorrow, what happens to the rest of these series. Remember these players are stuck in a bubble. The NBA is trying to get these playoffs completed without taking too much time, working with their partners Disney and AT and T. But tonight's games, all of them off the table after the Milwaukee Bucks saying they would boycott their Game Five tonight.
3: Eric, thank you very much for that update, uh, Eric Chemi. That really escalated in just the past hour or so. There's a lot of ways you can go for it. Guy, DraftKings, for instance, is down 3% in the after-hour session. Uh, You've got to look at the media partners that Eric had cited in terms of not having a game. This was the one, right, sport that successfully was able to play without COVID outbreaks, without random cancellations during the season. And here we are. They're canceling all of the games tonight.
4: Yeah, so if DraftKings is lower, and I'll take your word for it, I don't see it. But, I mean, that's probably... Uh, just machines interpreting the news that, you know, again, that's a stock that you're not obviously in for it for this year. You're just looking at the world and where it's headed over the next five years. And I think that stock on weakness is a buy. You know, this is reminiscent, you know, somebody will step up to this. You remember, I think it was actually two years ago around Labor Day, if memory serves, when Nike did that, uh, just do it regardless of what it could potentially cost you, something along those lines with Colin Kaepernick. And if you remember, the knee-jerk reaction to the stock was lower. But as it turns out, and again, it's not political, but Nike was sort of ahead of that curve clearly. And the stock recovered for a lot of reasons. So, you know, if somebody steps up to the plate to back this in terms of uh, reinforce those things, and you see weakness on the back of it, a uh, DraftKings is a separate issue, I understand. But these will be buying opportunities because I think, you know, people will come down on the right side of history. I think it was proven with Nike mm-hmm. two years ago.
3: Dan, what's your extrapolation of this a bit of news here.
6: Well, interestingly, I see that headline. I know what's going on on the racial justice side. You know, that headline, if it is for reasons of the bubble bursting down there, you know, obviously it's not. But if that were to happen over the next few weeks, that would be a very, very negative sign for just the reopening trade in general. Just think back to March 11th when they canceled the season in the middle of uh, an evening of NBA games. That's when it really got real for corporate America, thinking that they're going to have to shut down their businesses. So that's my first intention or my, my first thought there. And then going back to that battleground um, survey that you're talking about, that brings me to Big Ten football. Take that battleground uh, survey again in a few weeks of those states in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, when they don't have college football on Saturdays. And that survey may read a little differently. So I know that we think is sport is just sport. It's big business. It's a way of life for a lot of people here. And I think it clearly reflects on the handling of the coronavirus and the subsequent lockdowns and we're just seeing we're continuing to see that the lack of visibility that we have for all of us going back to work we're still sitting in our kitchens for our schools are they going to be going back to our kids going to be going back to school are we ever going to sit in a stadium again and watch our football team these are the things that I think the economy lacks visibility on and you can look at any poll on any given day but to me I think really the, the referendum is going to be on November 3rd on how the administration Dealt with this virus, and I don't think it's going to be particularly um, good for the administration.
1: Tim, well, I, I think we will be back in stadiums, and I think there there is a reopening trade that that's happening, and I don't think we're going back to where we were. Uh, I do think that the NBA. Dan's right. Uh, I think the NBA has been a. a uh, like a very important social leader uh, as it relates to the virus and as it relates to the, the social injustices that are that are being protested. And, and people are going to pay attention to this. So every time the NBA moves, and they did move first, uh, and, and a lot of the rest of the world followed, frankly, So um, this is this is a big moment. Um, Having said that, uh, I think it's a temporary moment in terms of uh, identifying a place to stop and draw more attention. Uh, If you're a buyer of of DraftKings, you're buying this weakness. I I not only agree with Guy and I'm long the stock, you are playing a secular trend. If if you think that shutting down sports for a week or or a month or even the rest of this season is going to derail what's going on with online gaming and sports betting, you're crazy. And and look to the municipalities and, and how they need this revenue to actually at least start to fill some of the holes. So uh, I believe in this trend in terms of markets, uh, and I, do, I believe in online gambling.
3: All right. We've got more breaking news, and this time out of Washington, D.C. Let's get to Kayla Tauchy for the latest. Kayla.
9: Hey, Melissa. Uh, this breaking news is on the stimulus negotiations. Republicans are in the process of refining a new so-called stin- skinny stimulus package that could be released among members of the Republican Party as soon as this week, according to two senior administration officials and three people briefed on the matter. Now, the White House and GOP leaders are now looking to propose a roughly $500 billion aid package that would fund only the core programs where support has been bipartisan. That includes expanded unemployment benefits, which one senior administration official tells me could go as high as $400 a week, though that number has been moving in recent days. It would also fund a new authorization for PPP loans for small businesses, funding for schools, testings and vaccines developed under Operation Warp Speed. Now, despite the popularity of those programs that I just listed that would be part of this smaller package, each of these five sources I spoke with was doubtful that this skinny package goes anywhere Earlier today, the White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, both suggested that Democrats could seek to combine any sort of stimulus negotiations with a month-end funding deadline for the federal government, or perhaps even wait until after the election. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said she wants Republicans to meet her halfway at roughly $2 trillion. This, of course, is nowhere near that. But from a Republican standpoint, Melissa, it's at least an exercise to try to show their marker of what they believe could secure bipartisan support and essentially challenge Pelosi and company to take it up in the House. Melissa?
3: The politics behind this is amazing. Um, Kayla, just quickly, in terms of it's not just the dollar amount. I suspect that perhaps Democrats are holding on for certain key planks of of what had been in their proposal that they don't want to go forward with without. And I'm thinking funding for state and local governments. Is that something that, that Pelosi would be willing to go to the mats for?
9: Uh, Well, it would certainly seem like it. I mean, Republicans had proposed zero dollars for state and local governments. Democrats had wanted a trillion dollars. There's also this view behind the scenes, Melissa, where Democrats uh, have really wanted to wait until after the election to try to move any policy that just a few months ago had been seen as bipartisan, rural broadband, drug pricing. Some of these items that had seen some legislative movement in recent months has now really gone quiet because they think that if they can wait until January or February, perhaps they could get an even higher dollar amount if there were a Democratic administration or perhaps a Democratic Senate. Uh, so there is really a sense of pencils down on the Democratic side of the aisle. Republicans aren't very optimistic, uh, but from what I'm hearing, they at least want to put this proposal out and say, this is what we believe could pass on a bipartisan basis and challenge them to take it up. But Melissa, there's not much market support. There's not much political mm. pressure to do anything, yep. especially with coronavirus case counts numbers moving in the right direction.
3: Yep, that and the stock market also going up in the right direction. Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche in Washington. Let's bring in Dan Suzuki, the Deputy Chief Investment Officer at Richard Bernstein Advisors. Dan, great to have you with us.
10: Thanks for having
3: me. Um, You and your firm have been sort of cautious of these markets for some time now, and I'm wondering, you know, how, how painful is this to have, you know, big cap tech like we saw today just keep going, keep flying when when your emphasis right now is on sort of the value areas of the market?
10: Well, what's interesting, Melissa, is that, uh, you know, we had we were cautious going to this year uh, and that position, you know, have served our portfolio as well. But actually, since April, we've been what we've been doing is gradually adding back cyclicality. So we have been participating in the recovery in the markets and the economy at large. But we have been, to your point, doing it uh, in, with the absence of, of the big tech names. We think that, you know, we're not the type of company that's going to chase crowded, uh, expensive names. And so, you know, I think that those names are getting more crowded and more expensive. And... You know when i look forward on the you know potential way that this recovery could go one of two things is probably going to happen right you don't have to be uh, uh, a genius to think that either you'll get more stimulus and that this recovery uh, will continue in which case you want to own cyclicals right and tech what we found was so resilient due to the nature of this pandemic is that they just have less operating leverage to recovery than some of these beaten down areas on the flip side if things, if things do get worse and we morph into more of a traditional recession, I think that that's where tech cyclicality, uh, which, you know, we haven't seen at all this year, may come through and surprise investors. Because think about, you know, you know we've seen Salesforce up today, date, but think about all these tech companies. What happens if we move into a more traditional recession and you see households and businesses have to slash their, slash their budgets? So I think that, um, you know, from here, to in some ways, you could argue that they're damned if you do, damned if you don't.
4: Dan, currencies are typically things, you know, we don't talk about all that much, but it's a front center right now. Is there a point where the weaker U.S. dollar ceases to be a tailwind for equities and actually starts to become uh, sort of a a headwind for them?
10: Yeah, I think. uh, Thanks for the question, Guy. Yeah, I think that there is a point, but I think we're pretty far from that point. Typically, you know, if you we like to look at sort of the year on year numbers. And when you look at those year on year numbers, it's typically not till you see sort of a negative you know, you know, five to 10 percent level where it really starts to you know, be a, a, a noticeable negative for equity markets. I don't think we're there yet, um, but it was something we're monitoring to see if that's the trajectory going to go. And some of that's going to be dependent on, uh, you know, the Fed policy.
3: Dan, we were just having this discussion before about the markets and the political process with the stock markets at record highs. Do you think that this is the markets telegraphing the belief that um, there could be a Trump victory in the cards? Or do you think it's just simply too early to, to extrapolate that,
10: yeah, I think that uh, you know, I think that the market uh, on some level is starting to factor in you know the election. I think it's less an implication for sort of what you're seeing on a day to day in the markets. But if you if you look, I mean, there's been a clear correlation between the economy getting better, COVID cases going down, Trump's improving in the polls and the betting markets, and, and the market seeing all time highs. So it's hard to pull, parse those all apart. Um, I think that when you look at the volatility markets, though, you know, you've seen, you know, over the past few months that you are starting to see increased concerns around volatility as we reach the election. And I think that is more of the direct sort of market reflection of uh, what's happening with 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 the election polls.
3: Got it. Dan, thank you. Dan Suzuki, Deputy Chief Investment Strategist over at uh, Richard Bernstein Advisors. Um, By the way, we're following some more uh, developing stories here along the Gulf Coast this time. Evacuations are underway as Hurricane Laura gains strength. The major storm is now a category four hurricane packing winds of up to 140 miles an hour. It is expected to make landfall near the Texas-Louisiana border within the coming hours. The storm could also have major impact on some energy operations along the Gulf Coast. I don't know why I keep saying course like golf course. I guess that's why. Um, So what's amazing here, and we talked about this yesterday, and is that the the reaction in the energy markets is so muted. I mean, I guess that really tells you about the, the collapse and just demand globally for oil in general.
5: Well, I, th- I think it's just, sorry, I mean, there too- is supply, right? There is oil around, but also... Oh, go I'm ahead, sorry. It was, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just, I think that the... Um, So there is supply around, right? So um, it's not like a a real tight um, supply-demand dynamic. But also, these things tend to be very short-lived. So even if you see everyone, you know, rigs closing down and production stop for a little while, I think the market sort of sees right through it.
3: Uh, Did Flip or Russell want to get in, Guy?
4: You know, it's amazing. What happens is, no, you know, it's somebody walks their dog this time every day and my dogs get upset. I'm going to have to go out and have a chat with one of my neighbors because this clearly isn't working out. Shut up. That worked.
3: (laughs) Brilliant.
4: That worked. Kind of. Oh.
3: Anyway, back to the oil discussion.
4: Oh, is that directed at me? Yes. I'm sorry, Mel. because still you didn't give me any board. trade. You only talked no, about your dog. No I, no, I mentioned, no, I mentioned this the other day. I think 10 years ago, this is a huge story for energy because I think you would have had a rigs out of service, would have been down for a while, would have been affecting supply. I don't think that's the same anymore. I think there's, they've been retrofitted to a point where these storms don't really affect them all that much, and the supply delays have been muted. So I don't think energy is really the play. Karen mentioned it the other night. The, the, the real look, and it historically has been, is Home Depot, but I still think... Well, services is where you want to be. Goldman Sachs added Halliburton to the conviction buy list a couple weeks ago. I think a $20 price target, and I think that's the name you want to own. All right, coming up,
3: yet another street-high price target for Apple. We'll bring in the analyst who says the stock is presenting a a once-in-a-decade opportunity. And later, what does ex-White House advisor Gary Cohn have in common with the man behind Moneyball and a former House speaker? We'll find out when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street crowning a new top Apple bull today. It is our call of the day. Wedbush's Dan Ives raising his price target on the stock to a new street high of 600 bucks a share with a bull case of 700 Ives says Apple is presenting a once-in-a-decade opportunity betting on another iPhone super cycle. Joining us now is Dan Ives, the man behind the call. Dan, great to speak with you. Uh, what, what has really changed in the Apple story since the reported earnings aside from the 30 plus percent rise in the stock. I mean, we knew that there was going to be a, a new 5G phone later on this fall.
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah and thanks for having me. I mean, really to us, it's, it's a few things. First, our checks in terms of supply chain checks in Asia, it showed an uptick in terms of demand going into iPhone 12. And this has really been the last three to four weeks. And, and I combine with, with what we're seeing in China, that's 60 to 70 million iPhones in a window of an upgrade opportunity. And I think a step back, I think 350 million, based on our math, 950 million iPhones are in this window of an upgrade opportunity. Combined with services, that's why I believe it's it's really an upgrade opportunity. It's a once-in-a-decade opportunity for Apple, Cook, and Cupertino as they look ahead.
3: So let's back up on the stock. Let's just say for for kickstand that the stock were at $400 a share, $450 a share. Would you still be out today saying five, you know, 600 and then a $700 in the bull case. I'm just wondering because it seems like every single it doesn't seem it is the case that every single day so far this week, an analyst has come out saying that they are the new street high price target on Apple. So it feels a little bit like a chase here as opposed to, uh, you know, a fundamental change in the story that would trigger this wave of
8: price target increases. Sure. And it's a valid point. I mean, but we've been consistent with our thesis on Apple over the last few years, even going back 2014, 2015, in terms of this was going to be a re-rating story. And part of why even in the COVID storm, we've stayed steadfastly bullish. It's because of the services business. We think if you go back a year or two. Streets assigning evaluation $200 billion. Today, we believe that's up to $900 billion. That's going to be annually a 70 to $80 billion revenue stream as we go out in the next two to three years. So to us, it all comes back. If our supply chain checks and everything we see, and especially in China, they shows a downtick, then we're not here today making the call. Instead, to me, it's still a green light ahead, a re-rating, and no doubt, a lot of haters out there as the stocks hit 300 400 now 500 we in my opinion, I believe bull case, a year from now, a stock has a six in front of it.
1: Hey, Dan, so I, let's go with that, because I, like, I agree with you on the services business. I think that alone could be almost a trillion dollar company. But the evolution of valuation seems to me the relative point here. Um, where do you have this stock on a 2022? Uh, because uh, you can make an argument, sit around 30 times based upon those numbers. And, and we, we have a case where maybe we've had that once in a decade move, not from now going forward, the valuation for this company—it's um, no longer a hardware company. Now, for some other people, and we talked about this with Morgan Stanley earlier in the week. It's—it's it's relative to other uh, tech platforms and consumer platforms. So it's not even talked about um, in the services hardware mix. Yeah,
8: but but really at the core, it, the core DNA continues to be the iPhone cycle in terms of iPhone 12, and that. To me, that's the one two punch. It is a super cycle in terms of what I've seen, not just in the 5G component, but in terms of that 350 of the 950 in a window of an upgrade opportunity. I view it as like this. Two, three years out, this has potentially $25 of earnings power. $15 for the hardware business and as well as in the wearables, $10 for the services business. And that's some of the parts I can tell you from an investor conversations, you know, over the last few months, that's the key. And if you look in this storm, that services business, it's held up like a rock of Gibraltar, which has been a huge part of the bull thesis here that's really played out.
3: Dan, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Dan Ives of Wedbush with this call on Apple. Dan Nathan, what do you make of this call?
6: Well, listen, you know, I don't blame analysts for chasing price here. He's obviously been very bullish on the stock, on the story, on just the whole ecosystem, the product evolution. Um, You know, so you got to continue to justify. No one likes to put a sell on a company like Apple, but when you have a situation where the stock has gained, you know, a half a trillion dollars in market cap since it last reported earnings, you have to say to yourself, whatever you think that super cycle is going to be in the fall for an upgrade of the iPhone, it's probably in the Stock here. You've seen this panic buying here. I don't think it can continue like this. I don't think anyone expected it. That's why we see these analysts tripping over each other. But I'll just say this you know, the China stuff is not out of the, the, you know, we're not done with that. Okay. And Apple will be the last battle fought there and they have lost market share in china in iphones if they don't grow market uh, share in iphones they don't grow services and services is the thing that's vulnerable in china to the sort of backlash that they could get for what we're doing with tiktok or whatever and then also in europe so we're going to see regulation of that app store so i just don't think they're pricing in at 30 times forward um, any particular headwinds for this story so you know all the power to him he made a lot of headlines he could be right for a while I just don't I don't think you trade this thing into their upgrade cycle because I don't think it's going to be a super cycle.
3: All right. Coming up, a shares of box surging after its earnings report will break down the numbers, bring you the trade when Fast Money returns.
0: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on box shares of the cloud company soaring off its latest quarterly results. Let's get to Josh Lipton with the numbers. Josh.
12: So, Melissa, I had a chance to check in with uh, Boxeo Aaron Levy, get his take on the quarter. Uh, Aaron Levin told me that he is seeing reporting increasing uh, profitability, stable revenue growth rates, and a healthy pop bi- pipeline. He said Box is not immune to the broader reality of the economy right now. Uh, uh, strong demand from existing customers, he says, but he is seeing softness in some segments, such as small business. But bottom line, beats across the board, and this stock is surging in the after hours. I also did check in with Rishi Jaluria over at D.A. Davidson. Rishi covers the name. He says profitability well ahead of expectations. Box is executing well, he argues, while controlling spending. He does rate Box a buy, he says, due to strong technology, strong enterprise penetration, and continued room, he argues, for operational improvement from here. On the call, Aaron Levy is saying that he now has over 100,000 customers. The world today is different, he's arguing. Companies want to modernize how their employees work in the cloud remotely, and Box is capitalizing on that opportunity. Tomorrow, by the way, uh, Aaron Levy on Squawk Alley. I'll be chatting with him about this report and, of course, just the broader trends and themes he's seeing in the industry. Melissa, back to you.
3: Josh, thank you, Josh Lifton. By the way, what is extraordinary about this after-hours move is that it follows a 7% move in the regular session. Of course, box getting swept up in this um, technology uh, boom in today's session, as well as uh, the wave from CRM and its earnings results. Guy,
4: I think in this case, look, the quarter was fine. It wasn't a blowout quarter. I think what's getting the stock to move higher in the after hours is the fact that they gave third quarter guidance as well as full year guidance, which was, again, fine. But the fact that they have that kind of visibility, I think the market's giving them the benefit of the doubt. It's not a cheap stock. None of these are. I think the stock topped out around 22 at the end of June. That's sort of your bogey here. I think it trades there. And let's see what happens once it does.
6: You know, I just mentioned this. Obviously, it was a good quarter and the market is really going after a lot of these work from home names um, right now. They don't really care about valuation. This valuation is kind of reasonable. They're still lost money in the last fiscal year. I'd point you towards Slack and, you know, an announcement that Salesforce made last week that they're going to allow their employees to work from home until July 2021 when you keep seeing big employers like that making announcements like that i think you want to own these things i think it's getting harder and harder to own a zoom as it touched 300 dollars today 85 billion dollar market cap but slack slack to me ticker w-o-r-k that could fill a valuation gap between the likes of zoom and i like that one here
3: All right, coming up, a brand new big name entering this year's SPAC boom. But should you buy into the star power behind these investment funds? And later, filling the gap, the retailer has recovered nearly all of its post-COVID losses. But what do options traders think is in store when it report's earnings tomorrow? We'll bring you the trade when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. SPAC is the new black. Special purpose acquisition companies are red hot right now, and they're backed by some serious star power. Let's get to Leslie Picker with the latest big name to enter the game. Leslie.
13: <laughs> Melissa, just when you thought, who else is left to do a SPAC? Well, another one hits. This time, it's Gary Cohn teaming up with notable investor Cliff Robbins. Now, Robbins SPAC had actually already been on file as CSR Acquisition Corp from, Feb- from uh, sorry, July 31st. Then yesterday, the filing was amended with a new name, Cone Robbins Holding Corp., and a new face, Gary Cohn, who will serve alongside Robbins as co-chairman of of that SPAC. Now, they join a slew of other famous financiers who have launched SPACs recently. They include Bill Ackman, Chamath Palihapitiya, Jeff Smith and Barry Sternlicht. Billy Bean and former House Speaker Paul Ryan have also launched SPACs recently. Now, this year, 79 SPACs have been filed with gross proceeds of 32 billion dollars. That's up 136 percent from the 13.6 billion dollars raised in all of last year and it's only August, Melissa.
3: All right. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. I thought it was interesting that Credit Suisse is a sole book runner on Gary Cohn's back, but that, that was just me. Karen, in terms of uh, this, it used to be sort of a, a shady backwater of finance, you know, a backdoor way of going public. And here we are um, with some very famous people, very famous investors, you know, legends, perhaps, uh, going into the space
5: right it's still sort of a backdoor to an ipo but um that's actually that's what makes it appealing to the target companies so um this is a pool of money that um I- investors um believe that whoever the sponsor is let's say gary Cohn, can find something and cliff robbins can find something in their area of expertise a company to essentially bring public through a backdoor, and for the for the investor they have a free look at that deal so if you buy these shares on the offering you have a look at whether or not you like that deal if you don't like it you could sell your shares back to the company now most of these deals get approved and that's certainly the expectation for the sponsors who put up real money but they do get a very nice cut of the pro forma go, uh, going concerned I, I think it's a really interesting mechanism what to me is sort of crazy is how some of these SPACs have just traded at valuations that are insane. Once they find something, or even before they do, so for SPAC investors, if you can buy it a, a SPAC share at the offering, the original offering price, mm-hmm. and wait to see what the deal is, you really don't have a lot of downside. So it's interesting, but the deluge of SPAC offerings, you know, does sort of sometimes send a, a sign of the, of the top. But each deal is specific to its own. I think it's interesting. Yeah, Tim.
1: I, so, right. I've mentioned when this topic has come up that it is a sign of frothiness in markets and SPACs were not a, an asset class that really had a lot of depth to them. But I, I'll, I'll go the other way on this, too. Um, I will say, Karen alluded to this. If you're one of the M&A targets, this is a new way of doing M&A. And if you're if you're a seller, if you're a company that's being acquired, it's a chance to get liquidity right then and there um, and also have a stake and, and carry on in the new entity. It also means that there's the the. the the preponderance, the, the dominance, the, the, uh, the increased liquidity in SPACs means you also have a case where the terms are getting better for the target companies. So right now, this is actually an environment as an investor in SPACs and as a company. SPACs are your friend. And, and I think there's competition among SPACs. And this is not going to end. This is going to continue as long as there is liquidity. Uh, and it could be a very good thing. All right. Coming up, both
3: Roku and Netflix rallying today. Who are the traders siding with this In this streaming battle, we will reveal which stock is coming out on Top Plus. Gap gearing up for its earnings report. We'll tell you what's got options traders eyeing this stock. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Roku shares topping the tape today at more than 11 percent on a big call from Citigroup, the firm initiating coverage with a buy rating and a one hundred and eighty dollar price target, saying it sees 70 million active accounts by 2022. Roku's biggest competitor, Netflix, also up a uh, huge in the t- in the session. Dan, what do you make of the call?
6: You know, I much prefer Netflix to Roku. I I mean, I understand his call. He sees them going from 40 million active users to 70 million to 125 in two years. That's fantastic growth, but that's if you believe that you need a hardware-supported TV to access that content. I just don't believe that's the case going forward. I think most TVs will have that capability, and then it really is about the application and the user interface. Netflix has that covered. Hulu has that covered. Apple TV has that covered. Amazon has it covered. Uh, I just don't think you need Roku here. I wouldn't chase this one. It's not my
4: cup of tea.
3: Since Stan made it or would-you-rather, I'll go with that. Guy, would-you-rather, Roku or
4: Netflix? <laughs> He's self would you rather? When I do it, I get eviscerated. He does it. It's just... <laughs> I would I would rather Netflix. We all play. You go back November... Uh, we all play. November, the stock Roku uh, topped that around 168, potential for a double top there. I would much would rather Netflix, which has been sort of going sideways since its earnings release, if you look. Now it seems to be going back to the upside. Uh, so in the game of would you rather Netflix for me, Melms.
3: Coming up, another retailer out with earnings tomorrow, and that would be The Gap. Options traders are buzzing about the stock. We'll break down why. And you're looking at our Kramer cam. Jim is chatting with the CEO of 3M. You can catch that interview tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time. More Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Checkout. out here's a Williams Sonoma dropping out hours, despite the home goods retailer posting better than expected earnings. Online sales jumping 46 percent last quarter. The CEO also saying that strong trends are continuing in the month of August, but no guidance for the fiscal year. Karen.
5: Yeah, I don't think no guidance is really a terrible thing. I've always thought that companies shouldn't be in the business of giving guidance. But I think the stock just ran up too far. It seemed like, you know, a lot of their, I think they had some weakness in West Elm and Pottery Barn, uh, kids and teens. But the the uh, Williams-Sonoma, that ran up huge. So uh, I think a pullback is warranted, but... Not because of no guidance, just because it was so it went so far so fast. All right.
3: In other retail news, we're counting down to Gap earnings after the bell tomorrow. The stock is up nearly 150 percent off its lows. One options trader is making a big bet that those gains are here to stay. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike.
2: Hi there. Yes. So Gap store has traded over two times its average daily options volume. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about nine point four percent after they report earnings that's more than the 7.1% or so that they've averaged over the past eight quarters. Although I'll point out the company's taken on quite a lot of debt, so arguably they should be anticipating a bigger move. Although it was interesting to see that one of the larger trades we saw today was actually a sale of the weekly 14.5 strike puts, despite the fact that the stock is now trading essentially where it began the beginning of the year. The seller of those puts is obviously willing to buy 300,000 shares of the stock at that $14.5 stock price. Now, granted, that's a discount to where it closed today, but that does reflect some degree of confidence. And it could also, of course, be one of the 12.5 percent or so short interest looking to cover at those levels as well. But either way, we are seeing some positive signs, despite the stock strong rally already.
3: All right, Mike, thanks. Good to see you for more options action. Uh, full show is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, let's go around the horn. Tim.
1: DraftKings came up earlier in the show. This is a secular player. They're the online, gaming le- draft, excuse me, online sports betting leader. Uh, the Illinois Initiative is now opening up. That's a huge opportunity. You stay with this name.
3: Yeah, they paired their losses in the aft hours. Dan?
6: You know, I love stealing Guy's thunder here. His GLD gold, I think it makes a new high over the next month or two. So I think you play GLD to the upside.
5: Chairwoman? Yes. Well, on a show all about bees, how could my final trade not be Baba? I know it's up on Ant Financial. I think there's more room to run on that. Plus, I think this sort of gravitational pull towards 300. So Baba. Guy.
4: Great power pitch by Dan a while back. Twitter headed to that $45 level, Melms.
3: All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.